Welcome to episode 27 of Miles and Pints, the Travel and Beer Podcast. I'm Jeff Brownson. And I'm Derek Dye. And together we're drinking our way through this amazing world, one pint at a time. Whether you love to travel, you love a cold local beer, or you just can't get enough of either, you're listening to the right podcast. That's what we're here to talk about. Our guest today is Mike Dixon from the world-famous restaurant and beer bar, The Great Lost Bear. On a recent trip to Portland, Maine, Jeff and I had a chance to sit down with Mike at this iconic location to talk about his long history with The Great Lost Bear, how craft beer has changed and grown over that time, and how they managed to pick which beers to serve on their dozens of taps. Before we get to that interview, though, let's take a minute to thank our regular listeners. Without you, we'd just be talking to ourselves. If you haven't already, click that button to subscribe to the show so you don't miss anything we have coming down the line. And now, let's get to the good part. Sit back, relax, crack open your favorite brew, and enjoy our chat with Mike. Hey everyone, we are here this morning, bright and early on a Saturday morning in Portland, Maine. I have Derek with me as always. How are we doing, Derek? I am doing great. We are, as you say, in Maine. We're at the Great Lost Bear, which is one of my favorite beer bars, so it's a wonderful day. And we have a great guest today, and that is Mike Dixon, who is the manager here at the Great Lost Bear for... I mean, he's been here a little while, and we'll talk about that. (laughs) Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good morning. Thanks for being here, Mike. My pleasure. And we're excited. We wanted to, coming to town here in Portland, we wanted to talk to not only a small brewery, but we wanted to talk to someone from one of the... I, the best beer bars, not at, just in Portland, but in America, in the world, you guys have, have been rated as one of the best places to come have a drink in, in many, many lists. So it's very exciting to be able to talk to you this morning. Thank you. And we're going to start out, I, I did mention that it's early in the morning, but uh, I mean, you guys know Derek and I, so <laughs> we're, we're already trying a couple of the beers that they have here at the Great Lost Bear, and I'm going to let Mike go ahead and tell us what we're drinking, because we have a little buffet going. Sure. Um, we're doing this sort of in a reversal way, where I typically wouldn't introduce the heavy beer first, but because it is 9 o'clock in the morning, this is our breakfast standard, we're going to call it. And the first one is Mass Landing Gunner's Daughter, which is a nitro version of their pour. Uh, the second one is, what did we do? Oh, Orono Tubular IPA. And then the last one just went on this morning, Hidden Cove Beachfront Blueberry Lager. Sort of sweeten up the palate a little bit on the third tier. Yeah, we have to have our dessert with breakfast, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And in the words of an ancient philosopher, I'm not sure which one, <laughs> you can't drink all day if you don't start, start early. in the morning. So we are starting early. <laughs> we have three beers. I've already tried two of them. Both fantastic. This uh, Remind us, this nitro brew we're drinking, which one is it? Uh, Mass Landing out of Westbrook, Maine. Yeah, it's, it's a really, uh, really good nitro-style stout. You can really taste peanut butter. It's amazing. Uh, yeah. Nice creamy head, too, with the, with that nitro pour, right. which is nice. It's like eating a PB&J for breakfast plus some beer, so it's really, really good. And it nice. helps because I wasn't able to get a coffee this morning. I guess I was able. I didn't get around to getting a coffee this morning. <laughs> so this kind of replaces that with that, that, that deep, uh, Perfect. dark flavor for me. 
So now that we've talked about what we're drinking, uh, Mike is not having a drink because you actually have to work today, right? We're doing I am. This I'm working as we speak. We're cleaning beer lines and updating the menus, which is a daily event. Um, not as heavy as it used to be before the pandemic, but we're getting there. So, um, so, so you're doing the responsible thing and uh, just sitting and recording with us while Derek and I do the <laughs> irresponsible things. Let's start. Uh, let's go back a little bit and talk about your background. I mentioned that you had been here for quite a while. So you have been in the beer world and the beer bar world for a long time. Did you have another career before that, or did you kind of get um, into restaurants right away? Pretty much into restaurants right away. I was an accountant for a few years prior to that, so I was always around the restaurants. But for the most part, I'd say 99% of what I've done has been in this industry. And most yeah. of that's been right here, right? Yes, uh, since um, 1985. I'll just throw that year out there. So. And did you grow up in Portland? Um, I summered here young, and then my parents bought the house. And so, yeah, I pretty much have been living here all my life. So I'm a, not a true Mainer by the main standards, <laughs> but um, as far as I'm concerned. I'm much, sure it's yeah. a great place to grow up. I always enjoy coming here. So what year did you actually come to Portland? Um, I was actually born here in 1959, then went my, back to Europe with my parents, and then came back and started school here when I was five. Okay, so, so you've been around town for yeah. a long time. When the So the Great Lost Bear opened in 1979? Correct. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. So it's been around a few years. Yeah. You said you started in 1985. Mm -hmm. Were you aware of it when it opened, or was it something that you I was. saw a I came here for? as a customer. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you were a fan and you thought, you know, yes. this is a place I'd like to work. Yep. Did you start out as a manager? Had you had experience? Just bartending. Uh, just part-time. I think I had another job, too, and my wife had a job in town as well. And and it just grew from there. And then, of course, the microbrew age became a reality. <laughs> yeah. Tell yeah. us a little bit, tell our listeners a little bit about the Great Lost Bears specifically but generally the craft beer scene back in 1979 when the great lost bear first opened well it didn't really exist i mean there was a handful that was starting up in the mid 80s uh gary brewing company for one shipyard brewing company a little f further down the road for the 80s um and we had not really we had not started off as a microbrew tap house we sort of invented that concept along the way when we saw the surge but at that point in time, I think we had 24 taps, and we couldn't find enough brews to put on that would represent the microbrews. I mean, we would have Bud Light on there and Molson Ice or whatever you could to fill it. And then, then it started growing more from there, and we went to 35 taps, then 50, then 60, and then eventually 80. And you discuss yeah. a surge. You're talking about a surge in, in micro brews. More availability, not only from Maine and beyond, you know, from the West Coast, Sierra Nevada, you know, beers we could never see up this way. When did that surge really start to happen? Mid, early mid-90s was when it was really starting to pick up. Um, the diversified layout of the, of the microbrew land was starting to be different. In the beginning, it was, it was shipyard and gearies. Ringwood was the was the strain that everybody used. It was the standard. So to have a Hefeweizen from the Northwest or a Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, which is an entirely different style, was unheard of. So that market changed based on that sort of sort of recipe that they were going for. Um, and then all of a sudden, it just exploded. To and what I, it is now. 
I think it was when when I was first emailing back and forth with Dave and he introduced me digitally to you to get this set up. He said, oh, you need to talk to Mike. He was here back when we had 16 taps and people thought we were crazy. Yeah, because we didn't need that many. So true. So true. (laughs) And now it's I I mean, I think it's people like us look at a place and we're like, oh, they have 40, 50, 60 taps that I mean, that'll do for an afternoon. Right. Oh, absolutely. And post well, not post pandemic, but to have that many on, I was surprised it would have that many on that this quickly and not not achieving that 80 tap mark. I mean, we we could always go back to it. But right now it's just careful and make sure that we um, keep in the hyper local market if you will the portland people are looking for those particular styles we're not having a lot of good luck with the out-of-state beers right now because that's what people are not coming to maine for they can have that beer anywhere else all day long um not that they're bad beers but they have a tough competition right here in portland and beyond and there's so much good beer in the Portland it's, area. There's, it's endless. I mean, yeah. you, you almost don't need to go anywhere else. You really don't. I all mean, types of styles and sours and IPAs and And, the, avail- and the availability of that off-premise now because of the lack of accounts that they had with the microbrews, you can buy canned beers that you could never find in the supermarkets now, which is uh, good yeah. for them. We've talked to a lot of small breweries. Pretty much everyone we've talked to since the pandemic have said that they shifted a lot and they're doing a ton more canning. They never planned to distribute and now they've tripled their distribution network. And it's been great. You can get a lot more beer a lot of places. But I think there's, I mean, yeah, we can get cans or we can take cans home from some of these Portland breweries, but it's a completely different feeling sitting at a bar like this and looking around at all the. I mean, the walls are covered with coasters, and there's taps, and there, it's just such a cool environment. I think that this is something that people are just going to be so excited to get back to as things start to open up and you can bring more people in. Agreed. Um, we, we're seeing that, too. You know, people just want to go out, and they want to come back and see things that were once the same before the pandemic. and. Hopefully we're achieving that, and uh, we're, we're clearly set up for uh, social distancing, which has been great because we have so many petitions and booths and, and glass between the walls, so people are very comfortable. Of course, the patio, weather permitting, is open. Now, was this the building now it, you said has partitions and walls and rooms, and is this how it started, or has it kind of expanded It's over expanded. The this, where we are now was actually world headquarters, the office for the Great Lost Bear. <laughs> and um, then we bought the part of the Red Cross building next door, tore it down, made the parking lot, and we kept the back part as the office. So it's a separate building now. Okay, and yeah. then you could expand and mm-hmm. have more and people so back here. The, the bar got bigger, um, the lounge got bigger, the patio got bigger, and uh, the glass went up along along the way too. So I have to say, Derek has been here multiple times and has told me all about it. And it's like we have to record, and I walked in and I looked around and I was like, oh, I really want to be here when it's super <laughs> busy and yeah. everybody's packed in. It just seems like it would be such a cool place to be. Yeah. It's My fun. wife Sarah and I have been coming to Portland every year since 2014. Wow. This is now our, we think, our ninth trip to Portland, eighth or ninth trip. We've been to the Great Lost Bear every trip. Uh, it's always a highlight of our year. Uh, we enjoy having the, um, I guess you'd call it pub grub, but it's very good pub grub. We can get into that more a little later. But mm-hmm. as we were alluding to earlier, the main tap list is second to none. And... Talk about really cool 
bar experiences and brew pub experiences, this is a world class beer bar. So it's Thank so good very to much. be back, and it's really good to dive in and talk to you. That you know the nuts and bolts behind mm-hmm. one of your favorite beer bars. It's so cool. And we had talked about how the restaurant has changed and gotten bigger, and obviously your taps, you had more and more taps, and you keep adding taps as you want to add beers. One thing that you guys do a little differently, or I I don't know if it's differently or kind of unique in the industry, is you have a lot of employees, but they they don't go away. Like you, for example, have been here for... I, I don't I can't math this early in the morning. I know so that's why I don't throw the year out there. I figured it would roll with that. You yeah, know? everyone else can figure that out depending yeah. on when they listen to this. But you've been here for a long time. Uh, it says on the website you have several legacy employees, like kids of employees, and my two daughters all included still here. Yeah. yeah, your two daughters both yes, work here. One, my youngest still works here. So uh, yeah, lots of legacy and loyalty like I've never seen before, and especially during this pandemic when we were closed and. We were just coming in here and cleaning and pressure washing, new equipment, lots of paint. And we had so much, so many staff come in, not looking to get paid, but just for something to do. And that just told us a lot. It was like very heartfelt just to see that these, yeah, just to help out and keep things moving. Do you think there's something special that you're doing? Or do you know, I I guess, what's the secret for other places that are looking at doing this? Like, how do you get that kind of funny? I've never really tried to put that to theory. It's just something clicks. There's a lot of very unique personalities here. There's no doubt about that. And I think we're very, very informal, very nonchalant. Um, just a laid back very laid back yeah but when we start to redline you know you got to bring your a team on and we got a great crew here to to fulfill that need and uh, we're seeing that now clearly as the uh, numbers start to jump up a little bit and seeing a better crowd you know pre-summer so I would assume yeah. you get the occasional cranky customer, but most people are probably pretty darn cheery to walk in. Yeah, and see it all these beers and a smiling face behind the bar. Yeah, you don't. We don't have issues like that at all. Um, it's and it it's such a rare rare occasion, but uh, no no stories to be told that I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> So let's talk a little bit about the beer. We've talked about the tap number going up and down. Mm-hmm. Um, do you remember when you started? How many were on tap? Was it sixteen? Was it? Oh, it might have been less than that. It, it would fit right over the there. There might have been actually five, and then we might have gone to twelve to sort of just test the water. And then I remember jumping to twenty-four, and then thirty-six. And then it went up pretty quickly. And then after I lost that. track. Yeah. Then we, then we were at eighty, um, including cask beer, which was great. Um, than the pandemic. So there was a lot of plumbing, a lot of unplumbing to do. That was the first thing we had to go after, not knowing how long we were going to be closed. But So we were able to send all that beer that we had not tapped back, um, and that took a while. And, and looking back, I guess 30-plus years, five taps, 12 taps, whatever it was in those early days, can you give our listeners a few examples of what would have been on back then? Yes, I can. Michelob Dark. Genesee, uh, Light by Miller, and the newcomer was Sam Adams Boston Beer. And that was what started this whole thing. Yeah. That's kind of what started me in craft beer, was Sam Adams Boston Lager. They came up, they picked us up, they took us down to Jamaica Plain, we towed the brewery, and that was was the launching pad for where this whole microbrew surge was going. 
So way back when, although Great Lost Bear was a quote-unquote beer bar Mm -hmm. with five taps, which then was unheard of, it wasn't really a beer bar like we think of of now. It was a lot of light domestics. We we were never labeled that way. Um, As we saw this progression in the microbrew industry get bigger, we took that on and created the microbrew tap house with the eclectic pub menu, if you may. And uh, that's where it worked before. It's been working during. It worked very well during. Uh, we're certainly not back to capacity as far as what we had on our menu. We're a lot leaner now, and of course with the beers as well. But um, as time goes on, we keep adding, adding to the menu. As a matter of fact, we have new menus this morning. So a couple of favorites are coming back. Yeah, let's we'll yeah. see as as things pick up. You get back, maybe you'll even pass those eighty taps. Who knows? Get I know. I know. The rest M- of my the back Cross says building. no, but we'll <laughs> see. Yeah. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about even with the. I think he's at forty six now that you have on. How do you decide what goes in there? Do your distributors do a lot of that? Do you do a lot of we that? We do it all. We pretty much do all the ordering. The salespeople are really good to get behind us on, on everything, you know, including helping us with maintenance and cleaning and what have you. Even during uh, the pandemic when we shut down the whole system, we just drained all the lines and then we cut the lines. We figured that if this is two weeks or two months, this is just not going to be how we want to open back up again because the lines just get old and cracked. So yeah, we, you can't keep them clean. No, if not so that took us drone. a whole week just breaking that all down, and then then we went after it. You know, started varnishing and relining and fixing the ice builder, things like that. So, so when you're looking at new beers, is it just it you're you're following social media, or you hear about it from a customer? Are you? Um, is there ever a beer that you hear about and you're like, I'd really like that, and then you have a hard time getting it? Or do you a guys little bit, have... a little bit of that, a little bit of the customers asking for something, and we'll follow up on it, see if it's available. For the most part, it's what they show us. So I get emails from all the distributors and all the independent microbrews every week, either by text or email. I just pick and choose from that, and we try to diversify as much as we can. And uh, needless to say, the IPA category is always big. I mean, at one point in time, with the full 80 taps, we might have had as many as 30 IPAs on. So there's a bit of a balance in that. Then we get into the winter, we put more porters on, more stouts, some darker beers. We still try to keep at least one in every category. The more the not so popular categories, I, I hate to call them that, but uh, like red and browns, porters don't seem to have that recognition like a stout or an IPA or a pale has. So it's a decision made mostly by me, but I take feedback from my wife, who's our leader. Also, the general manager says she has great feedback, but the staff does too. Do you ever get emails or phone calls directly from a brewery saying, "Hey, we got this new fill-in-the-blank beer"? Oh Uh, yeah, you have a spot in your tap line up for this. I will take it, and if if I don't have rhyme, um, if I don't have uh, room for it, I will always. uh, I try to make on deck at least half of what we have. So, like for instance, today I had eight changes so i put on eight different styles of beers and try to keep the categories active as much as possible um but um lagers right now are, are, are very popular pilsners so we're trying to add to that category pails of course always hold a good standard and then of course the cans a lot more cans and jeff as you can imagine hearing 30 IPAs on tap. That's Derek's love language right there. So <laughs> if, you, if you didn't know once we walked in why I love this place, 
you now know why I love this place. Now I know why you have spent so much time here. And, <laughs> and knowing that they cycle out in their different IPAs each time. You could come back twice in a weekend, and the 30 IPAs might be half different. Yeah. So it you, might end up being 45 IPAs to try in a weekend. Typically before the ink dries on the menus for the day, we have, we have changes. Something kicks. We don't know what's in the bottom of anything sometimes. So it happened yesterday twice. So the menu was obsolete before we even opened. It was like, <laughs> but it's a good problem versus sitting around like what to do with all this beer at, at that pandemic point. That's what we were looking at. Like, wow, this is going to be tough. But It sounds kind of like our uh, weekly updates we do on miles and points world and travel rewards and stuff that we often recorded on a Tuesday or a Wednesday for a Friday release. And there's almost always at least one thing in that episode that just isn't real anymore yeah it's not yeah completely changed not valid right. 48 hours just, later yeah you just slept in one morning and all of a sudden it all changed yeah so yeah yeah i'm sure it's not an issue here at the great lost bear uh as you're you know pumping through a lot of beer on a daily basis but um for smaller places tell our listeners a little bit about like when would you need to pull a keg off if it's not selling how long would it sit there it's really i i look we watch everything every day through our product mix through our um, system that we have in place. I start to look at things after seven or eight days, especially as a log. So it's a week to week. Keep an eye on it. Um, try to figure out why it's not selling. Some things just don't move. And there's no reason for it. There's nothing wrong with the beer. It's just not what people are looking for. It could be the label recognition. It could be the fact it's not local or it is. I just don't know. It's hard to gauge that. But we do keep an eye on it. And sometimes... Um, Depending on how much we have left, we're running for a special for four ninety nine, and it's gone. That's gone. Yeah, Everybody so. will get that. Oh yeah. So you're picking mostly when you get these emails. You're picking from description and style. Mm -hmm. Do you? How often does it happen that you get a beer in that looks really good and you put it on and you're just like, oh, this one isn't going to be good. So can you tell pretty quickly? Almost right away. You know, somebody comes out with a jalapeno sour and it's just too much <laughs> bite. They, they didn't find the measure. They didn't use the bricks meter to figure out what the heck to do with it. But uh, for the most part. They all do very well, but we've had our hiccups here and there. Um, Are there any beers that you've had come in that you thought were just amazing? You liked the description, you tasted it, you thought it was great, and then nobody bought it? No, I don't, that's, no that hasn't happened. No. So I'd you're kind it. of you're doing well on the pulse of the customer. Yeah, that's a good way to put it because that's exactly what we use. The program we use is called Pulse, so we can see what we're selling, our product mix on a daily basis. We check that every morning. Before I come in, I'm looking to see what I'm out of. And then I have to look at the board, the physical reality of what I'm really out of. Because they might have been too busy, they couldn't put it in as a void. So so let's say, uh, busy Saturday, you come in on Sunday morning and see uh, on your Pulse system, you sold 100 pints of this one IPA, mm -hmm. and the keg is already kicked. Is that a scenario where you'd go to the distributor and try and get another keg as quickly as possible? Um, if or it's does the, that doesn't really matter It does. You? On the weekends, we prepare for that, and that's just not going to happen unless it was super, super popular. Or there was something else going on, a promotion or something. But if we're out of something and it's the weekend, we always have a backup, but it may not be that particular style. And then next week, I'll just order some more. So we try to keep the rotation going. I don't want to – there's a few things that we lay down. Um, go, um Goose, the Bourbon County, we lay one of those down. I, I lay a, um, a stout from Tributary down. I mean, they're like 10, 11, 12%, and just after about a year or so, they're even better. So we, we don't we, – I, I put those off in the corner in the safe, but uh, I just keep an eye on what we have and make sure that something does not get forgotten. 
there's nothing worse than looking at a, a, down at a collar on a keg and seeing the date like whoops forgot that one <laughs> and i'm sure you have a handful of of main beers that are guaranteed to be popular mm-hmm. anytime what what are those beers um not necessarily in this order but the top five pretty consistently would be allagash white main beer lunch bissell the substance orno tubular and battery steel flume that's actually what was uh, the top five this morning. <laughs> I've had all five of those. I've had all five of those in Portland, and those might be my top five, Jeff. Yeah? That flume to me is something. I love yeah. that. I, I think we've talked about this on one of the episodes of the podcast. Allagash White, while not my favorite style and not as great as a lot of people mm-hmm. think it is, it is one of those placeholders that really – caused the craft beer scene to explode 20 years ago right absolutely it, it brought in so many people that weren't you know i don't like beer okay try this exactly oh, that's good right yeah, yeah. and it's yeah. also i think it's so widely distributed and so common to see on a beer list that someone who is looking and overwhelmed by 10 beers at a restaurant can see that and recognize it and know oh i'm gonna like that beer and that's a lot of people send me a screenshot and be like, hey, what should I get for this beer? And I may not recognize some. I'm like, well, you're going to like the Allagash White. Right. It's just, I mean, it's a solid beer that you can drink anytime and be happy with your choice with your meal. But that's a good theory, though. I think they broke the ice on diversity as far as what styles were out there. And people are so used to going after one particular type of pale or Oh, an IPA, but not really looking at the broader spectrum of all the different styles that are out there. You know, the pillars as lagers, European style lagers, Belgian lager, um, and now of course the sour, and you sour know, beer is just taken right off. And when you think about it, it's really interesting that kind of that craft beer explosion started really in the Northeast, I think, mm-hmm. because as we mentioned, Sam Adams Boston Lager really created the i guess the macro level brewing at microbreweries right sam adams is now a macro brewer essentially but you had the sam adams revolution starting and shortly thereafter allagash white really bringing in a lot of you know quote unquote non-beer people to the craft beer scene i agree thank god for new england oh i know it's, it's really made the craft beer what it is today. the new england ipa you know i think it was it was definitely uh, an explosion of the microbrewers but the first brew fest we ever went to was out in portland oregon during this whole beginnings and that's what opened up my eyes like it's not all about the ringwood it's not all about the ipas it's about this northwest style hoppy you know they just they had it they had 10 years under the belt it's Which like also you're by drinking a pine tree and you love it. Oh my it. goodness, yeah! I mean, it's just amazing. And and that brew fest in Portland, Oregon, is one of the best brew fests in the country, as far as I'm concerned. In the middle of July, right on the Willamette River, but it was an eye opener for us and diversifying at that point in time. And now I we see it across the board. I mean, like I was just saying, the sours. Whoever thought that that would be a style that we could all say, not bad, you know? That's uh. Some of them are way off the top, but uh, they're super popular. People love them. And I feel like, there, Jeff, there has to be a story about this jalapeno sour because he <laughs> mentioned it and he had a smirk on his face, and yeah. now I want to try it. I know. I can probably find some for you. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, know, oh, I, yeah. Know one, I know one brewery that does a really good job with, uh, with a spice, and that's Hidden Cove. They do a jalapeno. I can't think of the name of it right now, but 
I'll do some research for you. Sounds so yeah, good. I mean, <laughs> it, it, intriguing, but so good. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, I like sours, and I like those spicy beers, but I'm not sure I want the jalapeno to yeah. be in my sour. I remember Rogue did one that was way over the top. It was something And else. they do some weird beers out they there. They do, they, yeah. <laughs> Actually, went out to that farm. It was pretty cool. I've been to their, I think it was the brew pub, and or maybe it wasn't even, I don't know if they had food. I was, they had some sort of festival in the parking lot out in the other Portland, and I was oh. wandering around and drinking Is their it beers. that little greenhouse? Was that like a little, there's a green, a growth, where they start all the plants for yeah. uh, their gardens, and they have a brew in there. So it might have yeah, been Yeah, and they had a, a festival. It was a fun weekend in Portland, but I tried some stuff there that I was like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing with this? I know. That's always fun to try at the brewery where they can do... Uh, the small batch stuff that probably doesn't get out to a place it's like this. It's probably not leaving their own bar. Exactly. Try yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. They have, they made three barrels of it or something. So, Mike, you've alluded to some changes that have occurred at the Great Lost Bear as a result of COVID. You've mentioned that you had 80 tap lines running before COVID. It's now down uh, in the 40s. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about number one, managing a large craft beer brew pub. Uh, beer bar mm-hmm. uh, during COVID, and tell us how the Great Lost Bear responded and is thriving during COVID. Well, as far as the tap maintenance go, it's a daily event. When we had 80, there was something that had to be taken care of every day. If it wasn't cleaning, it was fixing the broken beer line, leaks, so on and so forth. It's just going to happen with that many taps. And we maintain on a regular business uh, basis. We have our own cleaning system in place. So we run caustic solution through the lines, followed by a fresh water flush. We take the brushes apart. We also have a micromatic uh, beer cleaning system where I can do six or seven or eight at the same time. And that pulsates through the lines. So we're doing that on a regular basis. So we're eliminating them. While we do the cleaning, we find problems. So we eliminate a lot of the other problems that would occur in the middle of a too deep bar night. You know, where you don't want that to happen. So. Um, that's worked very well for us. And then as the COVID came into place, what do we do? We have to get the beer out of here, sewer the rest of it, give some away, which we did. I just drove around to all the employees and I'd text them and say, hey, I'm dropping a six pack of this off and honk my horn, they'd tap on the window and wave. And I did that for a couple of weeks just to take the madness off this whole thing. Little presents of beer on the yeah, porch. Yeah, it was pretty fun. Yeah. <laughs> the beer claws. I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like a million years ago already, the whole pandemic itself seems so surreal. Everybody was going through their own Groundhog Day, so that was my way of breaking the ice and coming in here and, of course, doing what we can to keep the, keep the lights on. We did a, uh, we started out during the beginning of the pandemic at home. Um, my wife was doing a craft cocktail every night when we thought it was going to last a couple weeks. And we got, I think, 32 days into that. And she was like, we maybe shouldn't have a fancy cocktail every night <laughs> or two cocktails every night. So we stopped doing that. And then she got into, um, I don't even know where she got the idea. It came partially from March Madness, but she did, we called it a starch madness. And she made delicious treats. She loves to bake and she made cookies and um, some little pies. And I don't even remember all of their cupcakes last year were the big winner. Um, there was a tag along cupcake with peanut butter frosting and chocolate cut. Oh my God. It was so ridiculous amounts of stuff, but she wasn't working at the time. She's a teacher. We were all just kind of home. She was doing a little bit of, they were still trying to figure out online. So she did this and we, it was similar things. So we would go out and drop it off at people's houses and they would get their daily baked goods. So come this year, she's now teaching 
online, some in person. It's a significantly more stressful time than her regular job was. And one of my son's friends, um, uh, the son of uh, a family that we're really good friends with, started texting her and was like, um, it's coming up to March here. Are we doing Star Tremendous? And she was like, no, I'm really busy this year. Oh, He's like, committed. But this was the best part of last year. It could be the best part of this year, too. Wow. <laughs> and she was she is, is good for a, a guilt trip. You can get her pretty good with that. So sure enough, she did it this year and was getting up. Like, she would get up at 6 a.m., and wake our one son up and then make a, some type of fudge and then go to work for the day and come home and make another fudge and then take them out oh, wow. and deliver. And That's commitment. It That's was a, ridiculous. Yeah. But uh, I thought was, you were going to say that when you made the new cocktail every night that it changed to, you know what, we're going to try this one right before lunch and then maybe this evening. <laughs> so I thought there was a lot more of that going on. So you, no, at least so it, you are able to target in at, at a specific time every day that you wanted to get that done. Yeah, I mean – I say we had one every night. It was every day. Sometimes they were at lunchtime. Yeah, hence the groundhog theory. I mean, I just, you know, he just lost track of time. And yeah. But I think if savings. we had been in the same place, we could have had some really happy friends. If you were dropping yeah. beer off and we were dropping baked goods off. We and... probably could have rented an ice cream truck, put some music to it. Some, yeah, yeah. Some bells ringing. to be out in the streets. <laughs> this sounds amazing. Like, why, why does this only? Why should this only happen in quarantine? I know. Like, can exactly. we just do this in the future? Yeah. Because you have time. There was no progression of time. You just had all the time. True. Yeah. Sitting at home doing nothing. Uh, absolutely. Watching nothing. <laughs> so you guys, at some point, decided that like this is going to go on for a little while. We're not going to have any customers. And like a responsible business, you thought, what can we do to make ourselves better? Mm -hmm. How can we do this? What kind of walk me through the process of how you ramp that up? Because obviously at first you weren't going to pull all your draft lines because you didn't know two weeks from now you're going to have customers in. So right. how, what was that decision making process well, like? So what I did the first part of the um, COVID, I just took every Sankey off every keg and ran caustic solution through them and then just ran water through it and then we decided okay at least it's set up we don't we're not there's no old beer sitting anywhere in the taps or whatever and then we'll come back in a couple of weeks and see where we're going to be then two weeks came by it looked like it was going to go on a lot longer then we started taking the taps out just pulling the old lines out and said we'll just get back to this but let's make sure that this part of the walk-in is what we start with first so i'd be ready on the ready to get them back on as, as time went on. And then the rules changed a little bit as far as what you could do for takeout, the to-go canned beers, the to-go pre-made liquor drinks, which whoever thought that would happen in the great state of Maine, <laughs> I mean, or any place for that matter, but uh, it, it worked. Um, pretty much all takeout, because you couldn't come into the building and it was much too cold to be outside, but once the weather did get warmer, we were able to open up the patio and we put a tent in the parking lot, so we were able to do some dining, and it, it worked. It was a trickle, and again, that seems like forever ago, too. And that was summer of 2020? Mm, right about this time, we were thinking about where we're going to be with the tent, um, how we're going to do takeout, how they come into the building, how they exit the building. So, And also, um, once dining was possible inside, how we lay out all the tables, you know, having all that distance. And we have plenty of acreage in here to do that. And almost by default, it seems, uh, like, like I mentioned earlier, the borders, the glass, and petitions that were already here. So there wasn't a lot, of, other than sanitation stations and keeping the bathrooms clean very consistently and everything else that goes along with the mask and the gloves. And, um, and when you opened up for the last summer with the patio, you had 
you went down to no beers and how how quickly did you ramp back up did we, you start with five or ten five or ten literally five or just ten. just like the most popular mm-hmm. you knew people were going to drink it it wasn't going to go bad exactly and then we just sort of moved on and added a few more and then right now it's pretty much the fun p- panel and the island which is a glycol system so the lightest styles pills as lagers go through even colder it's coming out at 34 35 degrees which is nice but um, and then the back wall is just on standby right now. If we decide to go with more, we are ready to go. But right now the number seems to be manageable right now without having to be messing around with um, beers that are not getting rotated properly. So and Andy, my assistant, is um, also on deck with me, and he does a great job when I'm not here, and vice versa. So. So were people actually eating outside and drinking outside in the tents in the midst of winter this year? Um, as far as they could, as late as they went and as early as they could. And that's what we found. We've never opened up the patio as early as we have this year. It was open the first week of April. We have some heaters out there, but people, I wouldn't do it. I'm sorry. I mean, that, you go by like a diner and see people having eggs outside. I went, oh, no, that's not going to fly with me. I mean, there's nothing worse than a cold egg to me, so I'm not going to eat it outside. But people did. You know, I'm mean, not here. but I think the coldest we did down in the D.C. area, northern Virginia, we went to a brewery one day, and there was a, a, a new biscuit place, which I've talked about a couple of times. Preservation biscuit is absolutely delicious in Falls Church, if you can get there. But they were doing a little pop-up with some samples. So we did have a little bit of food, but mostly we had beer, and I think it was 23 degrees, and we were out in a tent with no heaters. Defiance. And we had, we had hats on. We had, but, like, we wanted to try those biscuits, and we wanted, it was a brewery, so we tried some beers, and, um, and that was the coldest we did, but I, I don't think I would do that on a regular basis. I, yeah, and I think because of the pandemic, people were looking for the, oh, it's time to move the kegs around. Okay, Charlie. doesn't sound like he's winning. <laughs> We'll let that pass. Um, but the, the loyalty of people coming out to do that. You know, yeah, it's like, so cool. Yeah, it really was. I mean, Rising Tide, I don't know if you, if you saw what they did, but they had domes, heated domes. And they had, I don't know, maybe a half dozen of those. And it worked. Yeah, there's yeah. little chalets right outside our hotel. I can't. I haven't figured out what they belong to yet because our hotel isn't doing any dinner and i don't it doesn't look like there's a restaurant there so i don't know where the chalets go to but there are these cute little structures with little steps to get up into them i think eventually after this cycle of this madness is over that every backyard is going to have one of those things it'll be like the people will be selling them off oh yeah like your timeout dome you know (laughs) (laughs) i'd be out there all the time that actually that's not a bad idea we had one of my wife's friends who's a teacher she was home and her husband was home and their two daughters were home and she was like this is not working for me to teach online (laughs) So they had a treehouse that they had built for the girls a few years ago when they were young. And she was like, we're going to fix this up and I'm going to teach from the treehouse. So they added a Wi-Fi router out there. They ran power out. They heated it. Brilliant. So through the winter, she was teaching from this treehouse. And she ended up in, I think she was in People Magazine. And there were there was this whole thing. But she completely changed that. So she climbed up her ladder and went to work in the morning. And nobody bothered her. And then she went back out. So it's amazing the way that people changed things and pivoted and uh it's great to see that you guys were able to do that and take advantage of some extra cleaning time but then jump right back in as soon as as people wanted to come and have well i think people wanted to come and have beers the whole time they did they wanted things to be the same as much as possible in 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 an ever so changing world and um i think people seeing familiar items on the menu has been a big plus for us too it's it's comfort people go okay things are getting better 
We're not quite there yet. I think we're going to have a mask in our back pocket for who knows how long. Um, but we've been able to hold on to the standard. And we actually closed a couple times when we had a couple situations where we thought it would be best that we all get tested. So we closed until we get all the test results back, which was good for everybody here. And we took care of the cost of that and did some more cleaning. But we did that a couple times. We actually had the CDC come by and said, you know, you guys are good. You're beyond good. I mean, if you don't have to put up these back bank teller windows everywhere. You know, that's what I feel like sometimes. I'm in a... Like you really can't see the people at the other table already. <laughs> you don't need to add more. Okay, what a great conversation that we had going there with Mike from The Great Lost Bear. Be sure to check back with us next week to get the conclusion of that conversation. But for now, it's time for Derek and I to get into all of the news with miles, points, credit cards, travel, airlines, hotels, and all of that good stuff. Are we ready to go, Derek? All of that in 15 seconds, right? Oh, yeah, maybe 15 minutes. As quick as we can. (laughs) Yeah, we couldn't talk about it. Even on a slow week, you couldn't talk about it in 15 seconds. So we'll give ourselves a little longer than that. Hopefully you learned something new. We could be like that Micro Machines guy from back when we were growing up. You remember those commercials? I do not. Maybe Uh, they went so fast I didn't have a chance to remember them. Maybe. Or maybe they were when I was growing up and you weren't around yet. I don't know. Eh, I'm not that much younger than you. (laughs) Although I do like uh, to point out you are older, so, you know. So I'm sure some of our listeners remember those, but no, we can't talk quite that fast. But instead, let's talk at a reasonable pace and get into credit card updates. What do we got going on with Chase? Well, um, we mention it basically every week, Jeff, but it's worth repeating every time, even though most of our listeners have now heard it six or seven times since we started these weekly updates. Chase Sapphire preferred with the all-time highest offer, 80,000 points and a $50 statement credit at groceries after a $4,000 spend. Keep saying the same thing over and over and over again, Jeff, and I'll continue doing it as long as the offer's around. If you're under 524 and or it's been more than 48 months since your last CSP or CSR bonus, you need to uh, be uh, be sure you're getting this bonus and, and downgrade a card if need be and sign up for it. 80K and a $50 bonus is the best ever on the Sapphire Preferred. And if you do not qualify for that, find a family member or a friend that does and have them get that card because Absolutely. great bonus, great points, great transferable currency. Can't recommend it highly enough. Yep, minimum of at least what what would you say 1100 bucks for any basically any 1000 bucks and if you're really good at redeeming rewards easily to hit 1500 or 2000 dollars or more for that. Yep, find some of those first class or business class products you can get some great value out of those points. And we've got a new month so it's time to hit on Amex and remind people that they should use all of their credits. And again, I'll use myself as the example of a fail on that. And that is, last month, I was saving my Uber credit to use for an Uber when we went to Portland at the end of the month. And uh, spoiler alert for what we'll talk about later, but Uber was terrible and crazy expensive, so I never used it. And then we hit May, and then it was gone, my April credit. So, New month, make sure to use all those credits. You have dining credits on several of the Amex cards, $5, 10 $20 credits. You have $30 PayPal, Platinum credits. You have your Uber credits on the Platinum card, the Gold card. You have all sorts of credits. Use them early. Make sure that they get credited. 
And the one that's easy to forget because there's not as many options for having it is those Amex co-branded business cards where you have the $15 mobile uh, credit. You know, AT&T or Verizon bill, just pay a $15 payment uh, each month. Um, Google Fi, eh, has a lot of trouble, but Amex will typically credit it if you follow up. But use that credit, $15 a month on your mobile cell phone bill, and burn them all every month because it's literally free money. Free money is good money, right? Yeah. I love the smell of free money. That's what I always I love say. it when cards throw money <laughs> at me. <laughs> Gotta love it. Yep. And and we mentioned last month, Jeff, and it's always worth uh, repeating, as you mentioned with your fail from, from April, burn them now. Don't wait because something may happen, right? You may forget it at home on that day. Um, later on, we'll talk about why you ended up not using your Uber credit. If you have an opportunity and you're going to spend the money anyway, swipe those cards now. You know, we're gonna you're going to be hearing this on the seventh of May. Don't wait until the twenty seventh. Go ahead and use them now. That way, you can get them out of the way, and you know you're using them, and and uh, nothing can go wrong for you to lose them this month. So shoot for that. Jeff, we didn't have much else in credit card news this week. Not a lot of uh, crazy new sign-up bonuses or anything. Some elevated Chase Marriott bonuses, but meh. The MX ones that are still around until the 12th are better uh, than the Chase offers. So if if you need a Marriott card for whatever reason, just go sign up for the MX Business Marriott card rather than a Chase card. Don't burn a 524 spot on one of those chase cards. But the kind of the big news, Jeff, that uh, came out um, on Cinco de Mayo was the elevated 75,000-point offer on the no-annual-fee Barclays Choice Hotels card. And as we discussed before turning on the little record button, first I was like, this is a pretty bad offer. I'd you know wait until I'm 15 plus 24 before applying for it. But we got a data point travel on points today, my Facebook group. If you're not a member, come uh, come subscribe, and hopefully you can learn something. Um, we got a data point. Um, one of our readers just got back from Secrets Cozumel, uh, adults only, all-inclusive, down on the beautiful Mexican island of Cozumel, and it was only 35,000 points a night. So this one sign-up bonus on a no-annual fee card is enough for two nights for multiple adults at an all-inclusive resort in Cozumel. If you like diving or snorkeling or beaches, Cozumel, absolutely gorgeous. I was over there a couple of times diving. They have amazing wall dives for those that scuba dive. Just beautiful. But choice points, uh, not something that's on the radar of a lot of people. There are some good values in their lower-end hotels, uh, especially in Europe, if we can ever go back there. And there, if you want to do the all-inclusive Cozumel route, that's a great way to use the points. But there are also, you can get two, three, four, maybe even five low-end hotel nights from this bonus. So although Choice Hotels is not a program that is pretty and wonderful and not what people love to talk about in the points world, there is some value from this card if you're well over 524 and not getting back under it anytime soon and you want to pick up a new card for an easy bonus. With that data point of the 35K, because honestly, I haven't looked into choice hotels enough to know about uh, all-inclusives in Mexico. Do you think two nights at an all-inclusive uh, for an adults-only all-inclusive property, do you think that's worth bumping it up over a you know a random MX or some of these other cards that are kind of limited on hard pulls and 
they really don't want you to have open a bunch of accounts before they will approve you. Do you think a, you know, two nights at a at a adults all inclusive? Do you think that's worthy of, of grabbing? You know, maybe it has seven, eight, nine out of twenty four. I think it depends on how much you like the beach and relaxing and not having to think about anything when you go on vacation. If you love an all-inclusive, an all-inclusive is wonderful. A couple free nights of an all-inclusive is even better because you didn't have to pay for it. That's good advice, yeah. It's it's one of those things. It always drives me nuts, Jeff, generally when people brand everything as 100% yes or 100% no. Everything works for the right person, right? So, something as good as it is doesn't work for everyone. So I like your answer, always qualifying. I think that the official Miles and Pints take on this is it is a solid maybe. If it works for you, then great. And if not, then just ignore it. There you go. And speaking of those cards that are really difficult for a lot of people to obtain, especially if you have quite a few hard pulls, maybe even as little as one in the last six months, this elevated offer on the Capital One Venture has a lot of people buzzing. 100,000-point offer, but also with the new transfer partners and the new elevated transfer rates to those partners. Jeff, tell us a little bit about your experience with Capital One. So I've had a hard time, as many of us have, getting approved for a venture card. I've tried a couple of times over the past few years, haven't been approved. We did uh, last week when Dustin was stepping in for you on this segment, we talked about that Capital One 100,000-point offer and I, I believe last week was when we talked about the updates to the transfer partners. Some great stuff coming out of that. I'm sitting here sad because I know they won't approve me for a venture card. I had canceled a Spark card. We talked about that a while back. But I got an email this week. And I'm wondering how if I should be excited about it or if they're just going to say no again. But I think I'm going to give it a try. But it said... Uh, it, it says, thanks for using CreditWise from Capital One. We invite you to apply for our Quicksilver card from Capital One. So it's a targeted application that they basically says they know about my credit profile. I'm wondering if I'll get approved, but it's actually not a bad offer. It's 0% intro APR for 15 months on purchases and balance transfers. So a 0% for 15 months, that's great if you have a big purchase that you're going to need a little bit to pay off. It's unlimited 1.5% cash back. It's a $200 sign-up bonus when you spend $500 on purchases in three months. No annual fee, no foreign transaction fees. Not a card that I would definitely get, but what I'm thinking is maybe I pick this card up, get the bonus, keep it for a little bit, and then I can product change it to a venture card. And I don't know if that'll work. I don't know if they'll approve me. I don't know if they'll allow me to product change it. Maybe someone can comment or let us know if if they've done something similar. But I like to believe that's my way back to having a venture card and earning a bunch of points and transferring to some of those great new partners. Yeah, it's worth a shot, right? I mean, I would think generally it's probably easier to get the Quicksilver than the Venture, at least with Capital One's kind of weird approval decisions. Um, Like we said, it might be as little as one hard pull, a new account in the last six months may cause them to decline you? I don't know. As I told you when you told me about this email, I think it's worth a shot, right? The worst they can tell you is no. It's a good way to find out if Capital One just doesn't like me at all or just doesn't like me for their premium cards. Yeah, exactly. And the one thing I can confirm in your series of ifs, if you get approved, if you can product change, etc., I can confirm that that sign-up bonus of $200 would be convertible to 20,000 venture miles. 
which could go to, say, life miles for 20,000 miles, which would uh, be enough for a couple of United flights. So that's not that's pretty good. So uh, as far over 524 as you are, not looking to go on back under 524 anytime soon, why not? What's the worst thing they can do? Pull your credit? Say no. Not the end of the world, right? So maybe next week we have an update on that, and I'll let you know how it all turned out. Let's hope we're all happy, because that would be awesome. And that's pretty much it for credit card news. Uh, Slow week, but there's still a lot going on, a lot of good offers out there. Let's move on to hotels, and always our favorite, Hyatt for Life. Jeff, you hit a big milestone this week, and we learned just how bougie you are. I don't know if we'd say a big milestone as much as I don't. Anyone who knows me knows that I am not loyal to any one program as far as hotels or airlines are concerned. I go wherever it makes sense. I stay where it makes sense. I love to use the points. I love to use the miles. I'll take any elite status that a credit card will give me, but it would be nearly impossible with my stay habits to earn elite status in any of these programs. So as people are getting globalist, you've already earned globalist for the year. Lots of people have earned the the top tier Hyatt program. I hit the uh, the milestone bonus of I stayed at my fifth type of Hyatt property. Ever. And I think I think that's <laughs> about the number of nights I've had in the past couple of years. But what you made fun of me and our friend Rick loved to make fun of me is that it took until my fifth night for me to stay at a Hyatt place, which is mm-hmm. one of their cheaper, lower-end properties that usually is one of the first one people cross off. So I've stayed at four of their fancier brands before I got to my Hyatt place. Yeah, and while most of us average Joes are crossing off, you know, in the first five we would cross off Hyatt House, you know, the under $100 night properties, the Hyatt place, maybe a regular Hyatt, you know, that type of thing, a destination hotel. While we'd be hitting those things, I guess you're going to the Andaz, to the Park Hyatts, maybe the Zeevan Zalara all-inclusives. Yeah, you just you just stay with Hyatt, and you're, in your few nights, you just stay differently than the most of it, than most of us. We just like to go where it's nice and there's a comfortable bed. There you go. There you I go. say that jokingly, though. I do love Hyatt Place hotels. I pick them all of the time. I'm not sure how this ended up being my fifth one, but... Also, I should point out that it was a very rewarding stay for me. We stayed three nights at the Hyatt Place in Portland, Old Port, and we did it um, with three certificates that we had laying around from the credit card because they had extended some of those. So the first night was in my account, the second was in my wife's account, the third was in my account, which ended up with me getting two stays. And with the current bonus journeys promotion going on, because that was two stays, I earn, and I'm a credit card holder, I earned 2,500 Hyatt points. So I burned two Category 1 through 4 certificates, earned 2,500 points, and a free 1 through 4 certificate for it being my fifth stay, or my fifth brand stay. So pretty good return on my two free night certificates for me this weekend. Yeah, you can't beat that uh, for sure. And a data point from mine and Sarah's stay, we paid cash for our stay. With it posting to our account, the Elite Nights hit. We earned the points for the stay itself since we paid cash. But uh, the bonus journey points, as you're mentioning, were also included in that one total. So literally 24 hours after uh, checkout, we received our normal stay points, the globalist bonus points, and also the, the quarter promotion, the bonus journeys points. So 
Not really any other hotel chains do that that quickly, and that's why people love Hyatt. Quick note on the Hyatt promotion, it continues through June 15th. Um, as Jeff mentioned, Hyatt World of Hyatt credit card holders earn 2,500 points per two nights. The two nights are not required to be at the same hotel or consecutive. So if you stay one night this week at one hotel, one night next week at one hotel, upon checkout from the second hotel, you would receive 2,500 points back. That's 2,000 points if you do not have the World of Hyatt credit card. And if you hit a total of 10 nights in the promotion period, which began back in April and continues through June 15th, you will get a Category 1 through 4 certificate, as Jeff mentioned, uh, that he used last weekend up to 15,000 points, and that certificate is valid for six months. So that's also a really nice perk if you have a few Hyatt nights um, coming up before June 15th. Jeff, it's all uh, it's all not good news in the hotel world this week, though. Uh, we'll start with the bad news. Hilton pulled a fast one this week, and they've apparently added a new level to their top-tier hotel redemption rates. Well, they thought they'd been giving out a lot of points with elevated bonuses, so they didn't want people, you know, to get value out of that. So why not raise the rates at some of their hotels? And they started this out. Actually, our next two pieces of news have to do with the Maldives. They started this out at the Waldorf Astoria Maldives. They didn't really announce it. They just sort of snuck it in there, and points travelers, as we are, found it pretty quickly. And eventually they came out and said, yes, this is a new level, and we plan to expand this to other properties. And uh, here's the problem I have with this, Jeff. The vast majority of the quote-unquote top-tier hotels are 90,000 points a night for a standard room. A few select properties like the Waldorf Astoria Maldives, the Waldorf Astoria Los Cabos, both iconic properties in the Hilton portfolio, they were already up at the 120,000 level. So... You know, when these hotels are already 120,000 for a standard room versus 90, you're already, you know, a third higher already. When you tack on another 30,000 above that, you know, all of a sudden you're almost double what the vast majority of the other quote unquote top tier hotels are. It scares me. Uh, the initial news from Hilton is that they will continue to allow you to use your free night certificate, which is an un uncapped certificate. Uh, usable at any hotel in the world so long as a standard room award room is available. They say they will continue to allow that at these 150,000 uh, hotels. They're currently the only one being the Waldorf Astoria Maldives. But number one, who knows how long that's going to be the only hotel, as you mentioned. And two, how long is that certificate going to be worth that? I can't imagine they want to give out these, you know, uh, the equivalent of 150,000 Hilton points annually just for re-upping your Aspire card or for putting $15,000 spend on your Hilton Surpass or your Hilton business in a calendar year. Yeah, I'm not sure. It's it's a sign of bad things to come, I think, from Hilton. And basically it's them saying, we don't really want you to use points to say at these super expensive, super fancy properties. We want this to be paying customers and we want to make money from this. We don't want our loyalty program to be used here. Or if you do want to use it, we're going to take a whole bunch of points so you can't use it anywhere else. So that's Hilton. They're saying Maldives, we're going to make it harder. Marriott, on the other hand, has a, a new property in the Maldives, which is 
oddly low category, and that's the <laughs> Limeridian Maldives. Rooms pricing out as low as 24,000 points per night, with overwater villas for some dates pricing at 30,000 points, which is crazy low. This makes crazy no sense, low. right? It makes no sense. No, it's a category, I believe a category five it was yeah. for Marriott. And they. It's so Hilton's saying this has to be a whole new category. It's so fancy and so expensive and such an amazing property. Marriott coming in saying, well, you know, we're going to put it at the same price as we do the airport hotel in Newark. And, like, <laughs> right. And here's the crazy. This is what blows my mind, right? All the time we laugh and joke about being bomb void and how these 35,000 point free night certificates from the various Marriott credit cards are not quite worthless, but they're, they become so hard to use all the time because uh, once Marriott introduced the peak price and, and they bumped those up to 40,000 at desired dates. So we're in literally Jeff, like overnight we go from not being able to use these credit card 35 K certificates. Like you say at a, you know, at the uh, courtyard Newark uh, to before your early morning flight out of Newark somewhere. You can't use it there, but all of a sudden you can use it for an overwater villa in the Maldives at a brand new property. That makes zero sense. I feel like they're just setting us up to get excited and then they're going to bonvoy everyone. I think there's no way it can last. I don't know if they're going to claim it's a mistake and not let people stay or they'll just push the opening and say that you can now use those points for uh, a stay as long as you can find that same rate or you'll have to pay more points. I don't know what they're going to do. I worry it's not going to be good. But you said, yeah, those 35,000 point certificates, but the rooms, the the non-overwater rooms pricing at 24,000 points, that's even the 25,000 point certificates from the super low end credit cards. Right. I don't, I have a bunch of those certificates laying around that I haven't been able to use. So maybe I'll look at uh, heading to the Maldives. But if you do want to go there, a couple of notes. First of all, look for nights and get them booked quick because I guarantee this will not last at this price. There's no way that it can compared to the other hotels. And in true Jeff and Derek fashion, there's a good chance in 48 hours when this recording is released and you all can listen to it, this may be old news and a bunch of people have already been bombed because <laughs> availability is not going to be there on May 7th, I guarantee it when you hear this. So uh, if it is, the moment you hear us talking about this, hop off on your computer and find dates and use those certificates because it will not last long. Yes, and do remember this is the Maldives, and they love extra charges because it's hard to get everywhere because it's a bunch of tiny little islands. So there is a 420 per person seaplane transfer that you will have to do if you stay using your free certificates. So it's not a free trip by any means. That's right. And that's all we have for hotels. We have in airlines not much exciting news. Uh, this week, the Delta middle seat blocking expired. So as of now, all airlines are fully booking. There's no blocked middle seats. We knew that wouldn't last forever, but it was a little bit of comfort while it was there. But let's move right on into travel because there's a bunch of news coming out around the world. We'll start in the U.S., Sunday, May 2nd, was the most passengers through the TSA since pre-pandemic. So travel growing and continuing to grow as people get vaccinated and move about in the U.S. 
really, really, really good news for the travel industry and for restaurants and everything else that supports the travel industry. We're, we're trying to find our new normal, and it's in on the upswing as we head into the traditional summer holidays and a lot of family travel. So I'm sure these numbers are going to continue to explode through the Memorial Day weekend, and then it's just going to be uh, gangbusters all summer. Um, and again, great news for the travel industry. They've you know been struggling for the last 13, 14 months now. So that's really good. Jeff, also really good news. It seems like some of the initial problems with rental cars are slowly being rectified to a certain degree. Certainly not a perfect situation, but we are seeing a lot of data points of things pop uh, pe- waiting, you know, less uh, reasonable amount of times, I guess, maybe 30 minutes here and there. But I haven't seen data points of four, five, six hour waits in a couple of weeks now. And it seems like most rental car lots are starting to fill up and they are new cars. Yes, we rented a car up in Portland. We actually had gone off airport to the off airport Hertz because it saved us, I think, $150 for the week. But we had no problem. We got over there. We had to wait in line behind one person. They didn't have sedans available. She asked if it would be okay if we took an SUV instead. So we ended up with a Toyota Highlander, which was great because we had you and Sarah and myself and my wife and Rick. And uh, we needed the extra space. It was much nicer than a sedan, but they upgraded us to that for the week. And it was great to drive up to Acadia and back and around Portland for the weekend. The Although rental cars are getting better and that off airport worked for us, something that is not getting better is the Uber and Lyft situation in many cities. In fact, it's downright awful. Yeah, it's just, and it doesn't seem to be getting any better. Sarah and I traveled the first weekend of April in Savannah, Georgia. We traveled, obviously, the first weekend in May in Portland, Maine, two very different cities a month apart, both with the exact same issue. Ubers and Lyfts are impossible to come by. Uh, Sarah and I, I posted and travel on points, and we had a thread going about it while we were there. Our Uber car from the airport in uh, to the Hyatt, uh, which is typically would be about a maybe a nine dollar fare um, before tip was forty two dollars. Uh, it was a fifteen to twenty minute wait, and more importantly, no Uber XLs were available. We were afraid initially with three of us, Sarah, Rick, and I, uh, flying in that we would need an Uber XL. None were available. We looked for lifts. Lifts were priced you know, quote-unquote reasonable at maybe 20 bucks. Uh, there was initially a 10-minute wait. We had waited around from the time we stepped off the plane until our Uber pulled in, and we still hadn't been connected to a driver. So those prices were completely irrelevant, and the wait time was uh, completely irrelevant because there were no cars available. So uh, throughout town, Jeff, as you know, we were together all weekend. There really if you wanted an Uber, it wasn't reasonable. There was typically at least a 20-minute wait, and uh, you know there just weren't good solutions. You either walked everywhere or you just paid through the nose and had a long wait. And that's what we alluded to earlier about my Uber credits and why I didn't end up using them, is my plan was to use that to get to the rental, rental car location. But similar to what you found, it was a $43 trip with Uber, or a $13 trip with Lyft, and it did take about 15 minutes for our Lyft to get there, but uh, the the higher-end Uber cars showing is not available. Several times during the weekend we looked, and a Lyft and an Uber both were not available. 
the one thing that is funny is people, some odd people are picking up travel. One of your readers that we had drinks with the one night had said he had gotten picked up by a stretch limousine as his lift. <laughs> and we, we actually saw it the next day right. driving around. So there is apparently in Portland a stretch limousine driving around as a regular lift. Um, so if you can use Lyft there, maybe you'll get lucky and get that one. So who yeah. knows who's out there driving these days. And for most of us travelers, I guess, you know, especially domestically, we've gotten we've gotten very spoiled with Uber and Lyft. It's so easy to summons a car and they show up right where you want to be uh, in a few minutes. And it's typically reasonable, uh, cheaper than a taxi even. You know, uh, if you don't like to rent cars or rental cars aren't available or parking's going to be expensive or what have you, Right now, unfortunately, as troubling as the rental car situation can be, Uber and Lyft's probably not going to get you where you're going to go. At least you shouldn't count on it. So maybe uh, beforehand, uh, hope, you know, fingers crossed that Uber and Lyft will work for you. But if not, maybe before you leave home, have the phone number to a couple of local taxi companies, uh, arrange something with your hotel. Maybe you can have a taxi just take you uh, from the airport to your hotel uh, and have that arranged in advance so that you can then uh, get the lay of the land for Uber and Lyft. So hopefully that that's fixed, but it seems like there's just a lack of, of, of drivers available. So um, Another good option for people would be to make sure you plan your travels to places with good public transportation or that are very walkable. Stay in a downtown area so you can walk around and see everything you need to see. If they have subways, light rails, train service, uh, maybe better to head to those locations than somewhere where you're going to need a car to drive around the whole time. Yeah. We've got three last things in travel, and I'm going to call them the change, the good, and the bad. And the change affects those of us in the miles and points world. Uh, anyone who's been doing this for a while knows the name Richard Kerr. He used to run uh, Travel Hacking 101, then Award Travel 101, which I ended up taking over from him. And then he went over and was the loyalty and engagement editor at the points guy he announced this week that it was his last day and he is leaving the points guy and red ventures for destinations unknown so we just want to give a quick shout out to richard uh thank you for everything that you've done in the miles and points community and best wishes wherever you're headed but i think a big blow for tpg and red ventures yeah i mean the vast majority of this more seasoned awards travelers jeff like you and i and uh, you know our our kind of inner circle of friends that have been doing this for five plus years there's you know probably 500 of us or less we all know richard um he was kind of the only um voice we trusted over at tpg and i mean by trust i mean as being reasonable non-biased that sort of thing that's gone so you know, while TPG is going to continue to have a strong voice with the unseasoned award travel and, um, you know, the largest internet presence in the points of mile space, um, you know, they lost a very experienced voice and probably the only voice that the experienced awards travelers listen to. Yeah. So who knows where he's going? I think he's going to play golf for a couple of months, and I'm sure we'll see him pop up somewhere else. But uh, exciting times for Richard that he gets to relax over the summer. Sad times for TPG. The good news is that more countries, and especially in Europe, have announced opening dates. Spain, Greece, Portugal, Cyprus have all said that they're getting op getting prepped to open up this summer. France actually announced dates for theirs, and June 9th, Americans who are vaccinated are going to be allowed into France. 
I would not go then, though, because if you look at the full list of dates with France, it isn't until June 30th that all all types of businesses can open up. Other than dance clubs, they're still going to keep those closed. So if you're looking to go to dance clubs in France, who knows when you can go. But June 30th is that magical date when everything should be open as far as tourism and restaurants and that kind of thing. So I'm I'm booking flights. I'm looking. I'm I'm going to France as soon as I can. But those other European nations opening up, and there were even some comments from Boris Johnson about getting the UK opened up. So hopefully over the next few weeks, we'll see more and more announcements about that. Pretty interesting. It's just a total coincidence, but it seems really funny that the first weekend Americans could travel to France and uh, experience the country in full with everything reopened would be the 4th of July. So maybe it's a conspiracy for the French and and Americans to just kind of laugh at the UK, right? <laughs> or am I the only history nerd that just loves thinking about that? Maybe uh, there'll be some fireworks over there to celebrate the reopening, and uh, you won't won't miss them here in the States. But with that good news came some terrible news for those of us, friends of the show, for Derek, for me, for many of our friends, for the 100-plus people that were potentially planning to go with us. Oktoberfest has officially been canceled for 2021, and it's, it's a crushing blow because it was canceled last year, canceled again this year. I cannot even comprehend the amount of money and tourism dollars that uh, Munich and the whole Bavarian region of Germany are losing due to this. And it just, they had to look at the science of it and they had to say, look, we can't do this safely. But I'm so sad and now officially planning to go hopefully in 2022, I guess. Yeah, and it, it's amazing. Once they announced it, Jeff, the history nerd in me, I had to get in and read a little bit about the history of Oktoberfest. You know, and obviously, canceling one year never happens, right? It's it's happened a few times since it began. Back-to-back years canceled is unprecedented. You know, it's like you say, I can't imagine the devastating impact to the local economies forget forget our fun we want to go you know we we would love to go with our group of friends and and have a great time and uh, experience their culture but gosh the local economy's devastated at this point so make sure when it comes to be fall you support uh, those local places near you that are doing oktoberfest celebrations that are bringing in german beer from those breweries who are suffering without the oktoberfest Uh, Buy your own German beers and German products to try and help at least inject a little bit of the money that they're losing as we do at-home Oktoberfests this year once again. And that's all we have this week for updates. Not really happy of the way we organized that to end with the sadness of Oktoberfest, but such is life in these pandemic times. And hopefully we'll have some more good news for you next week with our Miles and Points with Pints. Well, we hope you had as much fun listening to Mike as we did talking to him. Mike has been around since the beginning of the craft beer movement in the U.S., and hearing him talk about how things progress with some of the best-known breweries in Maine was certainly a treat. If you want to try some of the beers from the carefully curated tap list that Mike has put together, you have to make your way to Portland, Maine, and stop by the Great Lost Bear. All of the important points and links for things that we talked about during our conversation will be in the show notes, so you can pick up anything that you missed the first time through. 
The easiest place to find those notes is at milesandpints.com. Thanks so much for listening to Miles and Pints, the travel and beer podcast. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe so you can hear all of our new episodes as soon as they're released. Tell your friends and family about us so they can enjoy the show too. And please take a few minutes to leave us a review on your favorite listening platform. In between episodes, you can get more great travel and beer content by following at Miles and Pints on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. You can also stop by our Facebook page at facebook.com slash milesandpints. And that's all we have for this episode. Until next time, we hope you'll find yourselves a little bit of travel, a little bit of beer, and a whole lot of fun. Nothing.